we have seen uh, Christ reveal uh, heaven to John. We have seen the opening of some seals on the title deed of uh, planet earth. And we've seen Jesus take possession of that. We've seen uh, a wonder the likes of silence in heaven as God takes the time to listen to His children pray. We've, we've taken a, a lot of time to look at those things. And uh, as we opened the seventh seal on the, the scroll of the title deed of earth a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw some trumpets get handed out. And then these angels have started blowing these trumpets. And I go through all of that to say just about everything that we've seen thus far, if you consider the things that have happened on planet earth in the book of Revelation, uh, if you tried really, really, really hard as an unbeliever, you might be able to come up with a, a materialistic explanation for them. What do I mean when I say that? Uh, materialism is a way of looking at the world that says material is all there is. Uh, if you're a materialist, you think that your body is you. You are a combination of your brain and your body and the electrical impulses that your brain fires off and your soul is nothing more than your personality and when you die, you're gone. That's a materialist. Okay? Uh, materialists don't believe in the spiritual world. They don't believe in the human soul. They don't believe in anything outside of the physical world. And if you tried really, really, really hard, maybe throughout the first eight chapters of the book of Revelation... Maybe, just maybe, you could come up with a materialistic explanation for everything that's happened. But when you get to chapter 9, that all goes away. There is no way to explain from chapter 9 forward in the book of Revelation, if you experience it, that does not take into account the spiritual world. Uh, that's why I titled this sermon, The Blurring of the Line. Uh, it's the blurring of the line between the physical world that God created down here on earth and the spiritual world that exists uh, beyond it. Uh, I know that's not much of an opening illustration, but I had to say that uh, on the way to this. Have y'all in television or in movies or maybe in the, in the, in, in the funny papers or anything like that, have y'all ever seen a demon? The way that they're typically portrayed, they're this little, this little guy, he sits on your shoulder and tries to convince you to do bad things. Y'all ever seen that? The little guy, you know, usually you got you know, the angel sitting on one shoulder and you got the little devil sitting on the other shoulder and the angel's trying to tell you to do good stuff and the demon's trying to tell you to do bad stuff. Or you see them, they're these little guys with little horns and forked tails and pitchforks. And, and that's the way that demons are portrayed in pop culture. Uh, <clears throat> I've even seen some, some pop culture portray demons, whether it's in movies or whatever else, portray them sometimes almost as freedom fighters. Uh, I, I've, I've seen this, that, that really the, the, the demons are not really all that bad. They're just called demons because God doesn't like that they're rebelling against His overly oppressive hand and rule. That, that, that's why they got... That, that they almost are portrayed as... Maybe they're not the good guys, but maybe they're not all that bad. These are all lies. Okay? Um, as we read this passage today, 
Um, there is no way that, that you're going to get out of this anything other than demons are real and they're horrific. Okay? That being said, this sermon is not about demons. I'm not trying to scare you. But if Scripture does that, that's not my fault. <laughs> this sermon is not about demons. I'm never going to get up here and preach about demons just like I'm never going to get up here and get to preach about Satan. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach about Jesus. Because that's who I want you to know. He's always the focus of Scripture. Even when it's talking about other things. You should always go back to Jesus. I'm going to spoil the end of the movie for you and tell you that when you see a passage like Revelation 9, 1-12, through 12, it should not make you think about demons so much as it makes you go, Whoo, I'm thankful, I know Jesus. That should be where we go with this. So that's what we're going to do. So please, please, please don't get preoccupied with all of the, the scary demon stuff. Do get preoccupied with all of the thank God for His Son stuff. Okay? Please, please go there. So, uh, I'm an expositor, which means um, I go through books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. What comes next in the book is what comes next in my preaching. This is what comes next in the book of Revelation. So, we're going to talk about it, even though we don't talk about it all that much. Um, so, if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In, these, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns or something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings were in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over, the, over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things." Father, I pray that you will help us to look in Scripture, to take it for what it says, to learn what you intend us to learn, and come out of here being thankful that you have sent your Son to save and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, uh, <clears throat> if you look at your handout, I want to just dive straight into this, because I don't want to risk going long, because I chase a rabbit. Because y'all, I'm a Baptist, I can chase a rabbit. Okay? Um, I just want to jump into this, and start out by saying... Uh, this is meant to arrest you. When you read this in Scripture, this is meant to get your attention. Uh, we talked when I was a youth pastor, you know, folks, th there's always this desire to take Scripture and make it more and more and more and more simple. 
But somebody at a teaching conference for youth that I went to one time said, but the Bible is kind of like calculus. You can only simplify it so much before it's no longer calculus. It, it becomes a different form of math. You can only simplify the Bible so much before it doesn't say what it actually says anymore. My first point on your handout, if you'll notice, you normally see me put verses beside it. There are no verses beside this one. That's because this applies to the whole passage. Okay? We had to knock this out first. Y'all, demons are literally real. Okay? That, that has to be the first point that we talk about today. That I'm going to spend the least amount of time on this point. We're not going to talk about it for a long time. This conceptually covers the whole passage. They literally exist as sentient beings. They are not merely literary devices. What do I mean when I say literary device? Uh, they're, they're not just a, a, a way to move the story along when somebody's writing the Scripture. You ever heard somebody say, you know, once I face my demons, I'll be, I'll be better? You know, what, what, what they really mean when they say, once I face my demons, is they have something going on in their life that they feel like they've got to get a grip on. That maybe it's a particular vice or a particular sin they struggle against, and they refer to it as their personal demon that they have to face and fight and defeat. When Scripture in Revelation 9 is talking about these demons, it's not in a figurative sense like that. Okay? They exist in the sense that demons are angels that rebelled against God at some unspecified point in the history of the cosmos. Demons are angelic created beings that exist in a state of rebellion against God. That is a good biblical definition of what any and all demons are. Um, they're not, uh, they're not, they don't look for the most, they don't look like those little things you see in the funny papers on Sunday, okay? Um, the most famous demon you're, you're aware of. His name is Satan. He masquerades as an angel of light. That he very commonly appears to be helpful. And sometimes appears beautiful. Because he is an angel. But he's a demon. That's what demons are. They are angels that exist in a state of rebellion against the God who created them. As angelic beings, demons are primarily spiritual, but have inflicted physical damage, sickness, and destruction throughout history, as well as caused spiritual, emotional, and psychological damage. So I want you to see a couple of passages that I put on your handout so that you can see uh, in Scripture how this kind of shakes itself out. Luke chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, this is a famous passage where Jesus is coming to the Gadarenes. Some of your Bibles may read Gerasenes. And He comes across one of the most famous demon-possessed men in Scripture. <clears throat> um, uh, this is the man um, who is possessed by the demon who identifies himself as Legion, for there were many. Um, when He saw Jesus, He cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment, torment me. Now listen to verse 29. 
For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. There are three characters in that sentence, are there not? There is Jesus, who is doing the commanding. There is the unclean spirit, or demon, who is being commanded. And there is the man, who is the victim third party. Okay? This is not one man with a personality disorder. This is not one man with a chronic mental health issue. I don't say that lightly, by the way. This is not a man who is confused or strung out on on drugs or something like that. There are three sentient beings in verse 29. There is Jesus, there is the man, and there is the unclean spirit. There are three beings in that sentence. And you can continue reading. For it had often seized him. The spirit had often seized the man. And he, this is the man, was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. That the oppression of this man by this demon was horrible. So you see this demon is a sentient being that understands, don't miss this, he knows who Jesus is. He knew instantly upon seeing Jesus who he was. In fact, if you go throughout the Gospels, if you want to know who really got who Jesus was before anybody else did, the demons knew him when they saw him. They knew him when they saw him. And some of us have been doing experience in God on Wednesday nights. We've been doing a Bible study. And one of the passages on experience, or one of the studies in experiencing God was coming to know God by name. That you come to know God by name when you experience him in in certain ways. Uh, Like where, where God, Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Whenever God provided the ram in exchange for his son, where he wouldn't kill him, right? So Abraham came to know God as the God who provides. Well, look at how the demons address Jesus. Look at how the demons address God. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? It's almost like they rebelled a long, long, long time ago because they thought someone could exalt himself above God and they found out the hard way that there is one God who is the Most High. And they recognize Him when they see Him. Again, this is not the man crying out. This is the demon crying out when he sees Jesus. And he says, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. You just... What, what do I have to do with you? Why are you bothering me? Because Jesus has decided, no, you're not going to bother this man anymore. So that, that story goes on. We might reference that a couple more times today. So that's first. In the second, Mark 9.25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. That again, Jesus is not addressing the afflicted person. Jesus is directly addressing the unclean spirit. Okay? That... <coughs> 
It is important for us to understand demons as literally existing because you cannot be prepared to defend against an enemy you don't believe is there. You can't fight an enemy. If y'all ever watch on TV, y'all ever seen the, the big old stealth bombers? They look like the flying triangle. I know some of y'all in here military, y'all nodding your heads. Like, yeah, I know what those are. The, 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 those things, man, those are some bad jokers. Have you ever seen them? They're just, they're, they're this big, fun. they look like a slice of pie, but you don't want it. Um, and they fly through the sky, and the point of them being shaped that way and plated the way they are is that they're invisible. When you try and, and see them on, on radar, the way that they're built, it, it keeps the radar from picking you up, that you, you can't find it, that it's meant to fly through the air and never be seen, never be picked up, and by the time it's on top of you, it's too late. It doesn't matter if you see it with your own two eyes. You ain't going to do nothing about it. The reason a stealth bomber, I mean, y'all, a stealth bomber, can, it can drop the same bombs any other plane could drop. I mean, I'm some of y'all out there, I'm sure some of y'all out there who know more about this than me, and they're like, well, there's probably a few things it could do. But if you get a big enough plane that's not a stealth plane, you can put a heavy enough bomb on it and you could drop it if you needed to, couldn't you? It's not the bomb that makes the stealth bomber so dangerous. It's the fact that you don't see it. That's what makes it dangerous. You can't defend against something that you don't believe is there. There's a huge percentage of people. Y'all, I looked it up last night. This is sad. This is from Pew Research. Not Pew like here. It's a secular company. But they're very well respected. They do a lot of polling on just about every single subject. Do you know that among American Christians... Amongst evangelicals, so, so evangelicals, sometimes it can get to be a little bit of a fuzzy category because we've lost a little bit of what that definition means. But generally, those of us in here, theologically, would qualify as evangelicals. Only 75% of us believe in a literal heaven. Did you know that? Amongst people who identify as evangelicals, only 75% said that they believe in heaven. 53% believe in hell. So that means there are 22% of people who are willing to believe in heaven, but not willing to believe in hell. Do you think maybe the statistics of people who are willing to believe in angels, but aren't willing to believe in demons is probably roughly the same? Why on earth would you believe in one but not the other? Y'all, mm -hmm. was Jesus crazy? Was He talking to people who weren't there? No. Yeah, if Jesus addressed a demon, it's because there was a demon there. Mm -hmm. Okay? So first, demons are real. So let's, that, that's done. Let's push that aside. Now let's get down to the actual verses. Demons are still under God's authority. Demons are still under God's authority. Does that mean that demons are on God's side? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you can be under somebody's authority and not like them. Right? Y'all probably felt that way at work before. I'm just kidding. That's not good. <coughs> uh, 
The fifth angel sounded, verse 1, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Uh, literally, this word in Greek is the word abyssos. We took that word straight into English. It's the word abyss. Um, the star falling from heaven to earth is very much unlike what we saw in the previous chapter. If you go back and you look um, in chapter 8, um, between verses 8 and 11, you see something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. And then you see a great star fall from heaven burning like a torch and it falls on the rivers. These just seem to be physical objects. But in chapter 9, this star falling from heaven is given a key to the abyss. This seems to be a person. Now, I don't necessarily believe that that one is, is a demon. This to me just looks like an angel who is doing what God told him to do. That he's opening this abyss up. Um, out of the nine New Testament references to the abyss, seven of them are found in the book of Revelation. It's also mentioned in Romans 10.7. It explains its own terminology in 10.7. Paul just uses it to refer to the grave or the place of the dead. But in Luke 8, chapter 31, which I'm going to read to you, um, it doesn't seem to mean the place of the dead. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to read it word for word in the interest of time because I'm looking at the clock, but it's the same passage where Jesus addresses the demon-possessed man at the Gadarenes. And the demon begs Jesus not to cast him out of the man and into the abyssos. Do not cast me into the abyss. Interestingly enough, there is apocryphal literature in the first century. What does that mean? That just means it's, it's basically Jewish legend. It's basically Jewish legend that uses the term uh, of the abyss or the bottomless pit to refer to an angelic prison. And I'm not here to discuss whether or not you need to be reading the Apocrypha. Spoiler, you probably don't. But that does seem to be exactly what that is here in Revelation 9, that the abyss is an angelic prison. Now y'all, is a prison break a bad thing? How comfortable would you be if a prison break happened next door to your house? Would you like it? Does that raise the property value? <laughs> the prison break? What kind of angels do you think get thrown into prison? Do you typically enjoy hanging out? Do you feel safe in the middle of a prison break? Y'all, in the Old Testament, one angel went to war and killed 10,000 enemy combatants by himself. God has a prison for angels, apparently. And this is it. And the first thing that happens in Revelation chapter 9 is God says, okay, let them out. And he opened the bottomless pit. And smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Um, he opens the pit. Now, this makes sense considering Legion in Luke 8 is afraid of the abyss, right? Where there's smoke, there is... Why does, why does Legion not want to go to the abyss? He doesn't want to go there because it's a very not good place. 
So smoke comes out. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them, listen to these verbs. Was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to, to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. This paragraph is something, y'all. Uh, but those verbs interest me. If they were given power, what does that mean? They, they had before they were given power. They didn't have it. They didn't have power before to, to harm men until it was given to them. They were commanded not to harm the grass or the trees or anything else on the earth. That there are restrictions placed on them. They were not given authority to kill. That they can't kill anybody. They can hurt them, but they can't kill them. And then, whoever this is that is telling these demons where they can go, what they're allowed to do, and putting limits on them, also turns around and does the unthinkable and puts a limit on death. And says, death, men have been running from you since Genesis 3, but now I want you to turn around and run from them. Somebody with supreme, absolute power is putting barriers on even what these demons can do. Now, I can only think of one person who can do that. And that would be God. Now, y'all, have you been at least a little bit... Now, y'all, have y'all noticed this? It's a little tense in here this morning. It's okay, you can laugh uncomfortably. I'm uncomfortable too. I don't like talking about demons. It's not fun. But have you noticed not once in Scripture does heaven seem like it's panicking? That this is not a prison break. This is a, this is a controlled release. That these things aren't allowed to go one step farther or do one thing more than God allows them to do. They are still under the authority of God even when they are let out of angel prison. They cannot lay a finger on anybody who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're forbidden. They can't touch them. Even these demons are bound under the authority of God. They might be rebellious, evil, and destructive, but they can't go farther than God allows them to. Now, y'all, this is good news for us as Christians, I think. <clears throat> y'all, listen to me. I don't understand folks who like to dabble around in the occult. I don't get it. Because when I read my Bible, I see horrible things happen when you start messing with, 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 with demons and stuff like that. They're scary. Scripture lays them out as scary. That's okay. Scary things should scare you. 
But Scripture doesn't just lay them out as scary. It also lays them out as defeated and under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they cry out when they see Him. They're not worshiping Him because they want to. They're worshiping Him because they have no choice and they're terrified of Him. This man was so eat up with demons in Luke 8 that they had to bound, bind him in chains and shackles just to try and keep him in one spot. And whenever Legion so took the notion, he would break them and go where he wanted to go. But the minute he sees Jesus, he falls on his face and says, please don't send me to the abyss. I'm begging you. Send me into the pigs. Send me anywhere else. But don't send me there, Son of the Most High God. They're scared. So Christian, what's your application here? Christian, your application is be thankful that you are called Christian, which just means little Christ, that you belong to the Lord. If you are not a Christian, what's your application? Be one. Y'all, I love you. Jesus loves you. But there's somebody out there who doesn't. And we're going to talk a little bit more about their mindset in a minute. But y'all, come to Jesus and you have nothing to fear from spiritual evil. You, nothing. Nothing at all. Luke 10, 17-20. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, if this don't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That you've got a greater blessing than knowing that a demon can't touch you. Do you know your ultimate fear throughout all of eternity should not be a demon? They someone a lot more scary than a demon when they're not on your side. Don't fear him who can just destroy the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That we should fear the same one the demons fear. That's God. But when God's got you back, there's nothing you should fear. And God has extended His hand and said, I want you to be part of my family. I want you to be my child. Don't rebel with them. Don't expose yourself to them. Don't risk them attacking you. Don't risk having Revelation 9 unleashed on you. Come to me and be safe. Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you in Jesus' name, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven, that the gospel is here for you. Don't focus on the demons. Focus on the Jesus that the demons wish they didn't have to focus on. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That outside of Christ you dwell in what the Bible calls the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness. 
that Satan is the present ruler of this world. As uncomfortable as that is, Scripture says it. But Jesus has absolute ultimate authority that if you come to Him, He can remove you from the power of darkness and move you into the kingdom that He has. You can be free, you can be safe, you can be loved, you can be protected, and you can be off limits forever to Satan and his ilk. That that's available for you right now. <clears throat> but if you choose, you don't want that. Let's go to verse 7. The demons are real. Demons are still under God's authority, which should be a, which is a blessing. And by the way, as a side note, as a side note, before we move on, you say, "Well, wait a minute. That seems like absolute horror that they would hurt men for this long, and then God's going to even remove death there. That, that He's going to let them be tormented for all that time and not die." Y'all, that's not that's not torment. That's mercy. Because if these people are being tormented, then what does that mean they, they, they weren't? That means they weren't Christians. Which means if they were to die as a result of this demonic attack, they're going out of the frying pan and into the fire. God prevents them from dying so that they might still have a chance to repent. They could still be saved. But God doesn't want you to live separate from His love and presence for eternity. He wants you with Him. Demons are real. Demons are still under the authority of God. But finally, demons are out to destroy humanity. Look at verse 7. The shape of the locust... Y'all, I, I could read this paragraph, but y'all, I'm just going point, to point out some high points because I'm not going to dig into every single word here. They're very obviously not locusts the way you've ever seen a locust. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> For one thing, we're told in the first paragraph that they don't harm any of the plant life. Y'all, that's what locusts do. I mean, it, it's even, even today, locust plagues are a horrible thing in the Middle East because if you're growing crops and a locust swarm comes through, man, they'll pluck you dry. It's gone. It's like a drought over here. It'll just, it'll just destroy a year's income. But these things don't go after plant life. Uh, have you ever seen a locust wearing something like a crown of gold with a face like a person? No? Never seen that? Had hair like women's hair and teeth like lion's teeth? No. Wearing armor. Ever seen a locust wearing armor? I haven't. And the sound of their wings sounds like chariots and horses running into battle. And they've got scorpion-like tails that attack. And they've got a general. They have a king whose name is either Abaddon or Apollyon, depending on whether or not you want to take the Hebrew or the Greek. Now, <coughs> I read some commentators who think, uh, well, the pain that these demons must inflict must be spiritual because demons are spiritual they're not physical I, I, I don't buy that at all um, I think John defines this very much in physical terms he defines it with, with uh, 
sense terms, what they look like, what it's made out of, what, what it sounds like, that he speaks of it in terms of physical pain. Uh, if it was spiritual pain, why note that the sting is in their tails? You know, why, you, you know, why, why do that? Um, uh, these guys seem prepared for war. They're wearing armor. They sound like an army. <clears throat> They've got breastplates. They've got a, a king whose name, Abaddon or Apollyon, means destroyer. His name means destroyer. The New American Commentary, among others, identifies um, Apollyon as Satan because the, char- the, the, the character of the destroyer matches the character of Satan. I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. I don't think it necessarily matters because if it is Satan, he is a destroyer. If he's just someone named Apollyon who is a destroyer, then he's just a lesser version of Satan himself. They share the same goal. I don't think it matters. The army is just like their leader. And if their leader is not Satan himself, their leader is like Satan itself. Y'all, modern culture has romanticized demons as being things like inane little tempters who are mainly just annoyances. You know, maybe sometimes they're actually the ones that... Maybe God's just... This is pop culture, not me. Maybe God's just a hoity-toity goody two-shoes that wants to keep the fun stuff away from you and the demons know where the good stuff actually is. Sounds a lot like the first lie Satan ever told. Did God, ever, did God tell you you would truly die if you ate from that tree? You're not going to die. The reason that God doesn't want you to have that is because He knows that if you eat from the fruit of that tree, you're going to be like Him, and He doesn't want that. He's keeping the good stuff from you. Listen to me, and you can be like God. The thing about that was it was a total and complete lie. Adam and Eve were already like God. That's how He made them. So Satan did everything he could to bring God down to his level, to bring humans down off the level God had created them on, and then turn around and ultimately destroy them. Apollyon, the destroyer. Demons exist, they're doomed, and they want you to suffer with them. That's the long and the short of it. That's their goal. That's what they want. They are the cosmic version of sore losers. Have you ever played a game with a sore loser? Have you ever done that? It's the most annoying thing in the world, isn't it? Somebody's losing. Man, I watched that. Some some of y'all in here football fans. The, that, that, that opposing coach that's getting beat by like 38 points and there's five seconds left on the clock and he calls a timeout just to get on your nerves. Like, what are you going to do with this 30-second timeout? I don't know, but I got two more of them. And I'm going to use them. It's not going to do anything. The game is still going to end. You're still going to lose, but you're going to make just as many people miserable as you can in the short time you have left. That's demons. The game is over. They've lost. They can't win. There's no way for them to do so. But they want to take as many people down with them as they can. That's their game. 
And they will do it by any means necessary. Right now, the most the demonic forces can do is convince you that God is a liar and that they actually know what's better for you than He does. That's the most they can do right now. And y'all, they're pretty good at it. Okay? They're pretty good at it. But in Revelation 9, the training wheels come off. The prison is released and they are no longer trying it the old-fashioned way. They're just going after people head on. They've been given the command to charge by their, by their leader. And they're freed enough to do it. Any of y'all ever seen Lord of the Rings? Movie? Some of y'all have, some of y'all haven't. Uh, I'm going to give the, uh, the synopsis of one scene. There's been a particularly large battle... And the Christ figure of the, the movies, Aragorn, the, the long-lost king come home, is speaking to another, one of the, another king, and he doesn't want to go to war with Sauron, the Dark Lord. He doesn't want to charge his army in because he said, I've got too many people here who might get hurt. I don't want to risk open war. And Aragorn has finally had it because they've been arguing for a long time. And when the king says, I don't want to risk open war, he turns around and slams his hand on the table and says, open war is on you, whether or not you would risk it. The question is what you're going to do about it now that it's here. Say, well, I don't, I, just, I don't like talking about demons. They scare me. They freak me out. That It's just, I, I don't want to deal with it. Y'all, listen, open war is upon you, whether or not you would risk it. Satan does not slow down. The enemy does not slow down. He does not take breaks. It is his goal to convince you not to listen to God, not to pay attention to the warning signs, not to listen to Scripture, to buy into his lie, to do what feels good, go where you want, be who you want to be, follow your heart, as sinful, as wicked as it is, and maybe, just maybe, you will be the first human in all of history that God lets into heaven and denies hell despite the fact that you live and look nothing like him. Satan's lies that maybe you'll make it out alive when he knows full well you won't. That's his goal. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That very clearly, Scripture says the enemy attacks you and God has provided you armor and protection for that war. Satan never once has fired a bolt that pierced the shield of faith. Never once has he done it. That God's armor is impenetrable if you'll just put it on. If you'll just put it on. God's provided you everything you need. Then talking about his personality, John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. <clears throat> that Satan is a liar who wants your destruction. He wants your death. He wants your defeat. And He will do it by any means necessary and will be successful if you reject the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then finally, in Jesus' response to the destroyer, John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But why has He come? He has come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That Satan seeks to destroy you, but Jesus seeks to save you. Jesus seeks to not just let you survive, but to let you thrive. That ultimately... They're, they're probably not the, the greatest 